welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. How many of you want him to be magnified in your life? All right. Amen. Turn in your Bibles with me to 1 Samuel 18. While you are turning there, I want to thank God once again for... Aaron and Tiffany Johnson. Let's give God a hand. Praise for them. Amen. Amen. Thankful for your years of service here. Thank you. First Samuel. First Samuel 18. Verses 10 through 19. When you get there, say amen. If you're not there yet, say hold up. We got a couple of hold ups. We got a couple of hold ups. All right. First Samuel 18, verses 10 through 19. Let's read together. One, two, three, read. The next day, an evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave. Keep reading. Yes. Mm-hmm. Lord was with him. Yes. I'd like to talk about today, deconstructing your faith, overcoming church hurt and spiritual abuse. Um, Let's pray. Serious stuff, Lord. Um, Serious enough that it's the transcendent pandemic. COVID is a pandemic, but also spiritual abuse and 
Church hurt is as well. Lord, guard my words like never before. Today, help uh, this message not a, be a, a rebuke to the hurt, um, but a rebuke to the abuser. Um, and a rebuke to any way in which the enemy needs to be. Lord, God, my words, God, my heart, God, my thinking, help it to be in the text. Um, help somebody get help. It's a lot of YouTube videos on this, Lord. A lot of Facebook posts, a lot of memes. Um, with this in mind, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh God, our strength and our redeemer in whom we trust in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Overcoming church hurt and spiritual abuse. Be patient with me once again today in this message. Um, be patient with how slow paced I may be. Um, but I want to honor the hearts of the broken today um, and serve hopefully folks well. We've been going through a series on deconstruction. How many of you have been trekking with us during this series? Um, deconstruction, for those of you who don't know, I've been doing this every week to kind of make sure that we're all up to speed. Uh, but deconstruction, again, is the process of reevaluating your core beliefs or evaluating whether or not the religious belief system you were nurtured in is what you really have embraced. There are a number of reasons why people deconstruct their faith. Uh, one of the ways in which faith gets deconstructed is our subject matter today. Is spiritual abuse and church hurt. What can happen so many times is that Someone can have, whether well, individual or group of people, can have an experience with the church or church leaders or people in the church that make them question not just that leader, that leadership, that church, but Jesus. And that's why this sermon to me is one of the most systemic in this one because this one runs deep. I, I, like I've said before, I don't know why it feels that way, but I, I mean, some of you have been through, how many of you have been just in a relationship with somebody and they hurt you? How many of you? I mean, every hand should have went up in here. I mean, I don't know who. Um, how many of you ever had issues with your family? You got some family? Everybody got their hand up. Mm -hmm. I got some family member. Um, how many of you ever been church hurt? Spiritually abused? Um... I don't know why, but in the encounter of the three, it almost seems like the greatest hurt, number one, would go to church hurt, the second hurt would go family hurt, and the third hurt would go relational hurt. 
And I'm still unwrapping the anatomy of why church hurt hits different. But, you know, I like to, um, I like to define terms um, because I think it's very important when we're identifying something as crucial as hurt and spiritual abuse, we have to define those terms. We have to define them because defining them helps you wrap your head around them. Defining them gives you clarity and defining them hopefully can help us to engage them headlong and the hope you all is that there will be healing. Um, of course, I can say uh, I've been one of, uh, you know, as a pastor, I've been hurt as a pastor, all that good stuff, but as a member as well. So I'm not here standing here as someone who hasn't experienced it. But I'm pretty sure that as a member of a church, before I became a pastor, I've inadvertently hurt somebody. Amen, somebody. I'm pretty sure many times as a pastor, I've hurt people. Um, whether intentional or unintentional, which I hope it was never intentional, um, it is valid because someone was hurt. And so we have to work through that as the church. And as we work through that and we look at these definitions, let's look at what is abuse? What, what is it? Like, let's, let's define abuse and then we'll define church hurt. Abuse is to treat a person with cruelty or violence, especially regularly or repeatedly. I find this very interesting that the dictionary said, the improper use of something. <clears throat> um, abuse is Satan's greatest trick because Satan loves to corrupt what God has made for one thing for another thing. And, and, and that's the center of abuse is using something for what it's good for, for whether one's personal gain, um, for whether one's exaltation, or, or, or using people as an opportunistic mechanism for what you need for them, then throw them away. Abuse, 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 abuse. Improper use, improper use of people. Um, um, anything in our life that we change the function of becomes an abuse of it, even if the person likes the activity. Because sometimes abuse, the, the abusee doesn't know they're being abused. Help me, Spirit of God. And, 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 and many times the abuser, I'm getting ahead of myself, has trained the abusee to not see the abuse. That's why when someone tells them you're being abused, they attack the person that's trying to help them versus seeing what the abuser is doing to them. Classic Stockholm Syndrome. Um... Spiritual abuse. Spiritual leaders operating with people in a way, a ways that aren't ordained by God. Operating with people in ways that aren't ordained by God. What is church hurt then? 
Church hurt is conflict and expectations from church leadership, church members, and God that aren't met or are violated. There is perceived church hurt and there is real church hurt. So when we look at this idea of this, usually hurt comes from unmet expectations from, from someone towards leadership, towards the church, and towards God. And we're gonna, we're gonna walk through this interestingly enough because really getting to the core of the hurt comes from there a lot of times. Now let's define something else. Let's break this up real quickly. All spiritual abuse is church hurt, but not all church hurt is spiritual abuse. You need to write that down. This is very important to be able to tell the difference. Um, because when you're hurt, you tend to use superlatives to describe it. And so you want to be careful. You want to identify it based on what it is. I saw Pastor Jerome Gay bring out a verse that I think is helpful for us understanding church hurt and spiritual abuse. Are y'all still tracking with me? Proverbs 18:14 says this. A person's spirit can endure sickness, but who can survive a broken spirit? This idea of broken here in the Hebrew means to be subdued or brought low in condition or status. Means to be in a hopeless state, formally crushed of spirit, a condition where one is utterly in a state of distress and so without hope. As a figurative extension of the pressing or crushing of an object. Um... Where can church hurt come from? Church hurt can come from areas, these areas, intentional hurt, unintentional hurt, and perceived hurt. We'll, we, will, we will revisit these over and over and over again. So we're in this story about David. And so in this story about David, um, let's do some backstory on David. David and Saul's backstory and his relationship with Saul. Because this story is really about Saul's abuse of David. And not merely his abuse and hurt of David, but David's response. Because you know that in the midst of being hurt and abused, God demands a certain response. Um, nothing in our lives gives us a license to be less than godly. Even our hurt. And so the Bible here, David, David, David is interesting. David is a shepherd. Back in the day, you know, he's a shepherd, young shepherd. You know, he, he hung out in his dad's backyard and he was the least in his dad's house. He was overlooked. He even fought a lion and a bear. Sound like a kid just telling tales, you know. David, David just tell people, you know, I fought a lion. And a bear, it's like, yeah, right. But he, he, he was, there was no cap in what David was saying. Everything David was saying was true. So he had an interesting journey with God. And what you will see is his journey with God and God's hand on him, you have to understand people, will always make you a target of the enemy. And as you look at this and as we work through this, we will see this over 
and over again, one point and one point only. Church hurt and spiritual abuse, if maturely handled and endured, could be the greatest destiny refinement in your life. Church hurt and spiritual abuse, if maturely handled and endured, could be the greatest destiny refinement in your life. Verse 10. Look at this. The next day, an evil spirit from God came powerfully on Saul. Now, you got to ask yourself, what is the next day? Well, the day before this, David had gone out and had a bunch of success. And he, he had a bunch of success and he went out and he was, go, I mean, God's hand was on him and he was doing a lot of great things for the Lord. Uh, 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 I mean, he was killing it for the glory of God. But in verse, like, like when he came back, you know, they had parades when soldiers come back. I know we don't do this in our country no more, but they would have parades when people would come back. And when they would have these parades and David was coming back, it says, Saul has slain his thousands, David his ten thousands. Why in the world would those people do that? Now, if a leader is mature, they'll say, hey, praise God. That's a mature leader. But this is Saul's response to that Saul in verse 8 was furious and resented the song they credited tens of thousands to David he complained but they only credited me with thousands what more can he have but the kingdom so Saul watched David jealously from that day forward um the word jealousy in the hebrew means to eye it, it doesn't even say just it literally means to eye in, in other words it means to look at somebody and create a caricature of them whether right or wrong and let it remain there and yearn after what god did for them that he didn't do for you let me tell you something. Many of you don't recognize that God, at times, anointed you to be under a fool. Now, I know ain't nobody going to amen this. Because some of this stuff you went through wasn't even about anything but you. This ain't a rebuke. Hear me, because when you hear this story of David, you will see in the story the glory and beauty of how God worked in spite of his abuse, in spite of his hurt, and in spite of his pain. And he looked on him with jealousy. Usually when you go through hurt, church hurt, usually if you're under somebody that's extremely, particularly spiritual abuse, that's extremely, uh, uh, jealousy comes from insecurity. Always insecure. Jealousy is always jealous because it can't be thankful for what God gave them. 
And so, so what ends up happening is instead of being thankful, I'm building, please stay with me. Um, instead of being thankful, you see what God is doing in someone else as a threat. And so what Saul does is what happened is interesting. And this is one of the most misread texts. And I want you to I want you to hear this because this is going to be theology shifting for you. Says an evil spirit came from God. Now, when God sends something. It's always an assignment involved with it. Not for the spirit, but for the person and the person under it. Now, this evil spirit, this is really, it's a, un, a now, now I, the translation doesn't help you to really understand. This is not a demon. It's not. See, the, the word better is better translated an injurious or tormenting spirit. Now, this is interesting, and all scholars agree that this is not an evil spirit that we think of. It's the response to it of that Saul has that makes it evil. Help, help me. So you have to understand, when a king gets anointed, he's given an assigned presence of God. What happened when Saul first got anointed as king, he got the spirit of God. And that meant that he got empowered for missions for God, to be able to rule for God, to be able to act wisely for God, uh, to, and, and to point to the fact that God was with him. But God assigned now a, a, a tormenting spirit to him to show people that God was no longer with him. Stay with me. This is crazy. And what it was, was it was a spirit to discipline Saul. And this spirit, listen, caused Saul in his disposition to become fearful and paranoid and all different types of things because he was supposed to have courage with the spirit of God, charisma, insight, wisdom, confidence. But the negative results of this spirit is fear, paranoia, indecisiveness, suspicion, and short-sightedness. In other words, this spirit was sent to heighten the heart of where Saul actually was. Now, Saul, the first time this happened, David, they got, they say, anybody know somebody that know how to play the liar? I don't, we don't even know what that is today, right? Um, but he came and played, and it calmed Saul down, and the spirit left him. Now, now, because that was supposed to be his response. But this time, it's interesting. It's interesting. That's how you know it's not an evil spirit like we think about it. Keep looking at the text, and all of this is crazy foundation for what we're de developing here. It says, the spirit, evil spirit sent from God came powerfully on Saul, and he began to rave. Oh, God. He began to act crazy inside the palace. Now, this is what I like here. David was playing the liar as usual. See, 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 I, I, I love all this. 
David, under his abuser, knew how to find a secret place. Um, because when you're under abuse and hurt, you have to be careful of your meditations because the enemy wants to use you being hurt to make you bitter, to make you hate, to make you view God in, a, in some crazy way and negative. So David knew he needed some, some see some of y'all at work, y'all, y'all at work and y'all got an iTunes playlist because of the type of stuff you're dealing with. You say, I need the Holy Ghost. And you put your little buds in and you're doing your work because you know you got to, even though the atmosphere around you is wild, you have to shift where you are. Listen, 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 listen. When you go, when you're in a place that God see, because sometimes when you're experiencing abuse and church hurt, God hasn't given you the go sign yet. Sometimes he will give it to you, but some of see, some of us bolt without recognizing and spending time with God for him to speak to you about what he's, I'm not talking about staying under being raped. I'm not talking about that type of abuse. Run from that. We, we, that's extreme abuse. I'm talking about, I'm talk, we talking about, we're going we to break something down in a minute. But, but under those, sometimes God wants you to remain there because he hasn't, if he hasn't given you that sense of leave yet, don't go. But you have to have some sanity while you're there. So you got to learn how to worship the Lord in the midst of some, some crazy people around. You got to learn how to lift your hands in some places. You got to learn how to get in God's presence. And you got, even if the atmosphere don't get shifted outside of you, matter of fact, you got to take upon yourself to begin to shift the atmosphere. Because if you don't learn the glory of putting on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, and you can shift the atmosphere where you are, and it'll be like, God, you didn't change my circumstance, but at least you changed how I felt. At at least you change how I was looking because God wants to change your outlook. That's what he wants to do. He wants to change your outlook. And David said it was his habit. It was a regular part of his spiritual life. He didn't need the praise team to get up. He didn't need the, he didn't even, he didn't have a smart device. Oh, ain't nobody going to talk back. You know, if you can't play an instrument, just bang on the desk like you did in elementary school and start to sing something. The Bible says joyful, not in tune. No matter what you got, use it. <laughs> David saw himself as on assignment. He saw himself on assignment. You have to be careful of letting hurt make you be fooled into the fact that the assignment is off. <laughs> he worked for an abuser. Just think about all of the irony in this sex. Now, this is the hard part. It says Saul was holding a spear. Okay. Let me, let me y'all didn't feel that. Okay. Saul was holding a nine. <laughs> Let's bring this home because y'all don't. What's a spear? What, what, is, what does that mean? Is it, decor, it decorations? Uh, he was holding an AK-47. He was holding a Dragon Off sniper rifle. He, he, was, he was holding a, a, a Mossberg 590A. 
He, he was holding an AR-15. He was holding an AKM. Okay, he was holding a bazooka, a mortar. In the room, you're in the room worshiping with your abuser holding a spear. And you stayed in the room. Now, <laughs> listen to what the text says. It says, and he threw it, thinking, I'll pin David to the wall. Now, I want you not to read past this. But David got away twice. Okay. Y'all didn't get that. You didn't, you didn't get that. Y'all didn't hear what I just said. David got away twice. Meaning, he threw it at him once, went over and got it out of the wall. David came back in the room and started worshiping again and looking out the corner of his eye. He said, maybe that wasn't meant for me. Maybe he was just, you understand? And he threw it again. He said, okay, I'm out. Right? Let me explain something to you. <clears throat> Whenever you get hurt and abused, a spear is thrown at you. And let me tell you who Saul was actually throwing at and what he was throwing at. Because you can't take what the abuser does to you personally because the abuser isn't throwing at you. Remember why he was throwing at him. He was throwing at David's calling. Why do I know that? Because he knows that God's spirit is with David, not him any longer. And instead of helping David, he wanted to kill David. Whenever there's an assignment on your life, don't expect everybody to be happy with what's going on with you. When God starts working in your life, don't expect, that's why you can't tell everybody everything that God told you and what you wrote down in your journal. Why? Because they'll pick up a... Jealous people don't have the maturity to celebrate your destiny. They don't. And that's why in, in church hurt, it's always, it's never about you. I'm not trying to detach the hurt. Please don't hear me down in the hurt, but I want you to see it for what it is. He was also, <coughs> number two, throwing at what he should have been. Every time he saw David, he saw his failures. David was, before David went to war, he would pray. Saul used to do that. And then after time went on, <coughs> he got cocky because he was tall and cool and cute and fine. And God had given him some victory and he thought it was his. That's why you always got to be careful of when God uses you and he does big stuff and then you start going out and you think it was you and you stop praying. 
<clears throat> but when he saw David, he was throwing at what he should have been. But ultimately, he was throwing at God. He was throwing at God. And the fact that this happened, this lets us know, let's break some stuff down practically. So what are some signs of spiritual abuse? What are some signs? No, first sign is control. Control is a sign of abuse. In Matthew chapter 20, verse 25, <laughs> um, he tells us not to lord it over people like the Gentiles. So what they try to do and control, what, you, what does this look like? It looks like controlling relationships in the church. Somebody, you ever have been to a church where people try to control who you're in a relationship with? Oh, ain't nobody talking back. <clears throat> Accountability versus being overbearing. You know, you gotta, one of the things we have to learn how to do is let people do what they're going to do. Y'all ain't hearing me. <laughs> it turns into abuse when you think your role in their life is to force them to make the right decision. If even it's the right decision in the first place. I can remember this because it's very crazy to me to see this type of stuff, dating, making methods law. Like, like, like saying you got to do dating like this. There's no blueprint for dating in the Bible. It's courtship, but not dating. And sometimes spiritual abuse can come around if you don't do church unwritten policy a particular way, you're being rebellious. Right? And so there are, there are things that we can counsel people through, but we have to be very, very careful of that. People's whereabouts. I remember somebody would tell, I said, man, you come over and visit us sometime, man? Oh, I got to let my pastor know so that uh, he can release me to come. I said, let my pastor know so that he can release me to come. I don't know about you, but that sounds like slavery. That sounds like there's a chain on you that has to be released. And I get understanding spiritual authority, but there is some that just gets a little weird. Over counseling people. Wanting to give people instructions versus advice in every area of life. That, that, what, what ends up happening is you think you need to advise where people live. Their churches say we all, I remember this, this guy was telling me when he was planting his church, <coughs> he said to be a part of our church, you have to live in the neighborhood. Every member has to move there. I said, that's stupid. I said, that's dumb. Why would you do that? Because in order for us to understand the community, everybody got to live in the community. He was going through this whole regiment. I said, yeah, I think you're not going to have anybody. Because you're making something that's not a core biblical thing. If you say, let's live in the neighborhood, would you consider? That's one thing, but you have to become control. So that, that, that's what spiritual abuse begins to do. <clears throat> they see themselves as your mediator between God. Seeing themselves as a means of blessing. So we'll see this. God told me there's a healing anointing in this place. And somebody starts playing on the keys behind them and they speak in tongues. It's all to put you in a trance. Um, the Holy Ghost um, said Jesus Christ got hit five times. 
One, two, three, four, five. I sense your spirit that I've done with me. Um, um, the number five has come up in my spirit. There's about 500 people in here. Spirit of God says that if you give $500 today, you lay it at the man of God's feet. And what's going to happen is in about five days, there's going to be a tripling in your spirit. And y'all, some of y'all like this, <laughs> I feel it already. And it's a lie. It's manipulation. But some of us are liking their Instagram posts. Listen, <laughs> nobody, I am not your mediator. When you financially give, you don't give to me. Honor the Lord with the first of your wealth. <laughs> but see, spiritual abuse makes the giving to the person, not God. Spiritual abuse. And it's hard because people don't understand that they're in a cult when they do that. Manipulation. Second Peter 2, 2. <coughs> it talks about them going into people's homes. It's a, and, and what I would say is there's a sexual carnality among church leaders that's accepted. Now, I don't care. Well, y'all don't invite me nowhere. I don't care. What you do, but they're in our culture in a certain sector, and I say this with humility because I know what I'm capable of. But there is a church culture where people know the pastor is a whoremonger. It's it like everybody know. And they know that they've abused people, and in many cases, abused teenagers. Now y'all get mad at me, <laughs> say I'm a snitch. I don't care, because God don't go by them rules. I ain't name your name, but if the shoe fit, wear it. And some of you preachers need to leave ministry. I'm talking to you. With your manipulative self. That girl, she came for counseling. She ain't come for you to put her, your hands on her. What's wrong with you? He didn't come for you for that. He didn't come for you to tell him. What's your crazy? I rebuke you in Jesus' name. I come against your crazy self. You have used the place and office that God has given you as common ground to dust out God's people. The Lord rebuke you. you a, you're an abuser. They're preachers that are known molesters, still in the pulpit. Amen. Known rapists, raped 10 women in the church, and the women got shunned and the preacher got exalted. The armor bearer stood around the preacher and kicked out the girl that got raped. Shame on you! Yes, I'm angry. Then you wonder, you talk about millennials all the time. You wonder why millennials don't like the church. You're why. 
Yes, after a generation of sin, parents go to churches. Some parents, y'all have stayed in churches. Let your kids grow up in churches where it's so unhealthy. And then you wonder why they go to college or go on a career and never come back. Come to homecoming, I ain't coming. We have to end this. We have to end this. I, I literally do not understand why you're in ministry if you're there to sleep with everybody. Like y'all, y'all gotta pray for pastor. I'd be mad at that stuff. Mm. Financial greed. The Bible says in 2 Peter, they're trained in teaching greed. Constantly unlocking of spiritual, of the spiritual uh, and blessing giving to the leader. We already talked about that. Demands unhealthy honor. Nothing wrong with honor, but making sure that they are seen as a means of blessing of ministry. View their church as the main and only church. Doesn't let people go to other churches. Make you think that there aren't any other faithful churches out there except the one they lead. <coughs> Unable to accept criticism or correction. <laughs> That's, that's, that's a, see, because these are the subtle ones. The other ones, see, the other, see, subtle ones, they, they never can just repent. Like, this is how you know you're in an unhealthy situation, too. If you, if you don't think you can go to them because they won't respond in a way that's godly, but will turn what you're feeling back on you. Ain't nobody felt that. I'm by myself. Um... No means of accountability around them. Like, they, they're Moses going to the mountain all the time. Guilt-based culture in the church. Connecting acceptance to unhealthy commitment. Always got you working all the time. Uses the pulpit as a venting ground. When they have an issue with one person, they make it seem like it's a broader issue when really they're unbiblically, they didn't go talk to the person, they just use a sermon to address the issue. That's spiritual abuse. And when the person knows you're talking about them. Like I know, and then a few people are like, didn't we just talk about this? Talk about is, he talking about, is he talking about you? You like, you like, you send them a text like. Abuse, abuse. Um, spiritual gift abuse, questionable uses of the gifts, you know, in public, speaking in tongues, that's unbiblical. You can get mad at me, I speak in tongues in private, not in public. When you titi in public, I'm telling you right now, you're in sin. False prophecy, Trump is going to be president, I promise you, Okay. I'm not a false prophet, even though I said that. A true prophet's right 100% of the time. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, it says, so Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had left Saul. Therefore, Saul sent David away from him and made him a commander over a thousand men. This is interesting. Saul made it look like he was giving David an opportunity, but he was setting him up to be killed. <laughs> and, they, and this is, God has a sense of humor. Look at what it says in verse 14. I underline this. This is funny. And continued 
to be successful in all his activities because the Lord was with him. Let me just tell you something. If you just be faithful, even though they're trying to set you up, God will still be with you in the midst of the whole thing. You ain't, listen, I, I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. You don't have to fight. God boxes better than you, family. Nobody has better hands than God. No, who got hands like him? Nobody. Verse 15, when Saul observed that David was very successful, he dreaded him. But all Israel and Judah loved David. This is like the worst for somebody that hates on someone. Then next, he tries to give David his daughter in marriage because she was an idol worshiper. And the only way he can destroy David was to get David from being with God. This is how diabolical he is. So I give him my daughter that's an idol worshiper. And, my, and David's not even looking at it that way. Oh man, who am I to be? And he know God ain't with him. But David has enough respect where he says, who am I that, that the king would allow me to be in his family? And the king like, it ain't even that deep. I'm trying to kill you, dog. So I got a lot of application to end this. Is that okay? So in light of this, all of this has gone on. What's David's response to spiritual abuse and hurt? This is where the rubber meets the road for many of us who've been hurt and abused. The first thing is he never undercut the authority of the leader but honored it. Even while being abused, Saul goes into the bathroom. I like the way the Bible has nice ways of communicating stuff. It says he went to relieve himself. Now, while relieving himself in, in, in 1 Samuel 24, David cuts the bottom of his robe. He goes out. You can turn the clock off. David, David walks out afterwards, he gets convicted. And he comes out of the cave knowing because Saul is looking for him to kill him. And he could have killed him. And his boys were like, man, why you ain't kill him? Didn't you see, they even say, didn't you see the Lord was delivering them into your hands? And David went out and he repented to Saul saying, me doing this, I, 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 I should not have done this. And he said, I want to honor your authority. He broke down crying, Saul did, at David doing what he did and says, you're more righteous than I. It's interesting that David's disposition of humility drove Saul to being broken, not David doing undermined stuff to get Saul to change because he trusted God more than his actions to deal with Saul. When you're getting abused, trust God to deal with the abuser. Now, if it's rape, call the police. If it's rape, all of that kind of stuff, now, molestation, your child can molest it, go that day. Don't wait. Don't think about what can happen. Don't, listen, think about the safety of the person that got hurt. So, so we don't say, well, we don't want to bring the man of God down. The man of God brought the man of God down. Not you. See, that abusees think that way. I don't want to hurt the church. No, you didn't hurt the church. He hurt the church. <laughs> and engaged 
he engaged in honorable confrontation. And he jammed Saul up. So, so why, why are you coming after me? There's a time to get in front of your abuser with others present. Listen to me. Never get with an abuser or a person that hurt you without someone there to see what's going on because spiritual abusers and hurters tend to change stories after your time with them. Listen to me. You have, so you have to have that type of information in there so there's not no... I didn't really say that, though. I think then you're in there, you're like, dude, homie, right? And so you need that help. So it was confrontation with his God's present and Saul's God's there. He found refuge in God and healthy relationships. <clears throat> he developed healthy relationships. It says... David and Jonathan became as one soul. I know there's a, there's a new breed of liberal Christian that's trying to say this was David becoming a homosexual here, and he, this is, it is a big view out there. So I want to rebuke that in Jesus' name. It's talking about their friendship. It's not talking about they, they loved each other sexually. Man, I don't, can't believe I had to say that. Number four, have healthy outlets. What did David do? He worshiped. He, he did art. You got to have an outlet. He wrote. He journaled. And he did all of these different things during this particular time. He had healthy outlets, either post that or end that. He had self-examination as well and healthy venting. If you look in chapter 20, are y'all still with me? In chapter 20, he says, David fled from Naoth in Ramah and came to Jonathan and asked, what have I done? What did I do wrong? How have I sinned against your father? What I like about David is he goes and asks healthy questions. Because a godly person always wants to make sure that they didn't do anything wrong. So they, they always, even though you know when you hurt, you hurt. But a godly person always has that sense of, I could have done something. So let me find out from somebody I trust. This is best friend. <coughs> that happens to be Saul's son. And he says, Jonathan, have I done anything to your pops? Right? And he asked this question and he goes further. I can't go into it because it's too much. But, but, but he went into that. Uh, next one. It's just too much. Didn't let the abuser and the effect of his, uh, of his abuse affect his view of God and his purpose. That's very, very important. He didn't let the abuse and hurt affect his view of God and his view of purpose. One of the things of those of you who have experienced church hurt and say, I'm never going to church again, and, all, and, and I'm not dealing with leisure, I'm not doing all these different things, be careful uh, uh, of, 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 of letting that uh, uh, ferment other areas and mechanisms that God has created for you to have health. Next, <laughs> I love this one, y'all gonna like this one, know when to leave know when to leave. There's a time to leave. Look at, verse, look at chapter 19, verse 18. Look at what it says. No, because there is a time to leave. Verse 18. It says, so David fled. Stop right there. That's the verse. After a while, when God gave you free, go. Get the heck out of there. Sometimes, you know, you can't let you having friendships in a church make you stay somewhere beyond the time God wants you. Well, I got so many friends. He's like, no, I got some friends, but I can see them under the cave of Medullam out here by the Philistines. That's what David did. 
And he experienced knowing that somehow there was purpose in his plane. pain. Look at, look at Psalm 119. I'm almost done. Y'all still trekking with me? Psalm 1971. Look at what look at what look at what it, look at what it says. It's Psalm 119 <clears throat> verse 70. Psalm 119 verse 1. It reads like this. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your statutes. <laughs> Who thinks like that but a Christian, a believer, who can say, I didn't like what I went through. Because when you go through that stuff and you, begin, you get away from it and you get some distance and you begin to heal, guess what will begin to happen? You'll see things that God brought out of you and that God put in you during that particular season that made you better. I remember, I remember my wife and I, and I, I, I got to be careful because this is so public now. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, I got to be careful what I say, you know. But we were in a situation where there was church hurt. I'll put it that way. And I could remember crying my way to the building because of how much pain and church hurt I was experiencing. I, I can remember that. And I had to do everything. I had to lead worship. I had to preach sometimes, all the services. I did all the funerals. This is, this as, I'm in my early 20s. I'm doing everything. And, and experiencing, oh, I can't say that. Dang. I got to be careful. I want to be very careful. But I've experienced some pain. And I had to, in that season, make sure that I learned how to say, God, what are you working in me? And listen, you don't even realize some of the ways that I am what I am for you all was because of the pain that I experienced in that situation. But if, if it wasn't, I wouldn't have been that. And when I look back on it, I have a different view. I don't view it. I used to view it as the church hurt situation. Now I view it as me getting my chops ready situation. But it took time for God to do that. It, it wasn't, let me just tell you something. My wife's shaking her head. She know it wasn't overnight. Because I was, because this is how you know you're not over it. You talk about it like it just happened. You know, it, it make you feel, be, uh, like feeling away ain't a word for how you feel, right? Next, let God vindicate you, because in 1 Samuel 31, God took Samuel out, Saul out. So the question isn't really, I mean, David's ultimately, guess what David ultimately is? He's a failure, right? Why? Because he ain't perfect. So we, gotta, we can't just say be like David. We, we can get principles from that. But let's, let's ask Jesus some questions. Let's ask him how he dealt with church hurt. Let's ask the Lord some questions. So Jesus, how did you deal with church hurt on the cross and through your resurrection? He went into ministry knowing one of his disciples was a devil. Woo! If you ain't feel that, when Jesus says, Jesus in front of them, he says, he says to them, I'm about to go, you know, the way, he said, and one of you is a devil. Can you imagine Jesus saying that? You're like, am I a devil, Lord? I'm trying to figure out. I'll be like, in the name of Jesus, pointing at myself, wondering, am I the devil? But Jesus went into ministry knowing who he created and the nature and depth of the fall of man. 
and still put on a body and came to earth knowing how he was going to be hurt. He knew the people he invested in for three years and created would betray him and abandon him when he needed, they needed him the most. He knew it. But let me ask you a question. After that, all that happened, did Jesus ever mention Judas again? He said, I didn't lose any except for the son of perdition. Then that was it. Did he ever repeat through the Holy Spirit over and over and over again to them in the book of Acts how they ran? Now, he had confidence that what he went through was redeeming for them. Jesus on the cross prayed for his abusers. That's that. He said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. He wasn't like you like we don't really understand. He's being he's he's bleeding to death and he's suffocating and being abused. He went through brutality the day before. He went through three or four court cases. He's exhausted. He's on a cross and he's praying for the people who abuse him. But guess what he also did? He trusted God to raise him up from the effects of his abusers. The resurrection is Jesus being raised healed from his abuse. God can raise you up from your abuse. Let me tell you something. Your abuse isn't the center of your story. Your abuse isn't your story. And he seeks to help abuse victims. And then ultimately, Jesus right now is creating an environment where no more abuse will happen ever again. Oh man, y'all don't know how to give him glory. <laughs> He's creating an environment where no, there will be no more abuse anymore. Last thoughts for us. The church needs to repent of its abuse and hurt of people, whether intentional or unintentional. Church needs to repent specifically. Repenting isn't saying, how far down can I go? All right, I, I'm talking about for the camera. Okay. This is an apology. Let me tell you what apology is not. Whatever I did to you, I apologize. That is not an apology. An apology is when you told me that I on this day did this, that hurt you, please forgive me of blank that I did. Whenever somebody says whatever I did, they don't believe they did anything. They're just trying to use the apology as a formality to move on. Uh, 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 apologies are always specific. And so, and so we have to learn how to be specific. But we also need to not then say, and the reason why I did that. <laughs> Don't nobody need the environment 
When you apologize for something, you need to give room that people are going to think wrongly of you. The goal is not to fix how people view you. The, the, the goal is to repent of the specific thing and not try to control the narrative of the people you're repenting to view of you, church. That's very important. Let me tell you what I didn't do. Let me tell you what this wasn't. Let me tell you what we were trying to do. Let me tell it's a time for that to work through that if there's further reconciliation conversation. But when it's time to repent, shut all that other stuff up, church, and deal with the specific issue that needs to be repented of. The Bible says anyway in Proverbs where word is many, words are many, sin is present. <laughs> also, church, we need to listen and investigate when people say there is abuse happening. Always take seriously. Don't, I mean, even if the, we, we, I've, I've seen situations, but not, I've seen situations where people have called, but you still gotta, you gotta check. And you have to have accountability for leaders. Because leaders can't be, because when you're in leadership role, you can always molest the environment. And what I mean by molesting environment is you can control the narrative because of the in, um, in, in initial trust that you have from people and you can use your authority to demonize people's view of that person in order that people will side with you instead of them. Amen. That comes from a lot of experience. You have to be very careful of manipulation. And lastly, and this is last and I'm done, be careful of making a personal local experience universal. Be very careful. One of the things I love about what happened with David is David's experience with Saul didn't affect his view of God, his view of Israel, and his calling. Be careful of saying, you got, you got hurt in Union Missionary Baptist Church. Not every church. So be careful of saying church folk are like. So you know every church folk. Right. And I'm not saying that in a mean way. I'm saying we have to be careful because like God wants you to be accountable and them people to be accountable of what they did to you. And then lastly, this is not only heal so that you won't see everything that happens through the lens of that experience you didn't heal from. Very important. When you don't heal, when you get hurt, you identify other hurts or perceived hurts with the closest hurt that's in proximity to it. And so that's, very, that's why healing is important and you got to seek it. It's not good. Healing doesn't just happen. Time does not heal all wounds. That is, that is nowhere in the Bible. <laughs> no, dealing with issues is how issues are healed. Amen? Amen, I'm done. Maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. Well, whether you know it or not, your sin hurt him. But, it, 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 but he knew it would. And what, what I love about Jesus is he took on our sin. He took on our pain on the cross. And what's crazy about, beautiful about Jesus, he's not only our propitiation, he takes care of, he took on God's wrath He's also our expiation. He heals us 
from the effects and griefs of sin. Not just sins that we've done, but sins that people have done to us. Maybe you're here today and you've never placed your confidence in Jesus. Maybe you never put your confidence in Jesus. If you're here today, if you're here today, and you want to say yes to Jesus, Jesus has healing balm for you. What does that mean? He has something to make you be able to work through anything in your life. Some of you say, my, my hurt is in church, hurt is other hurt. Well, God, Jesus, the only reason, there are more reasons than just your personal sin to come to Jesus. also for comprehensive healing. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your savior, he wants to save you. He wants to take you from spiritual death to spiritual life. He wants to give you life and life more abundantly. If you're here today and you want to say yes to Jesus, hold your hand in the air. <clears throat> Would love to talk to you about the Savior. Anybody here today? Or in the chat. If you're in the chat, we'd love. Our search team would love to talk to you. They'll put an email up. Anyone in here today that wants to place their confidence in Jesus? Anyone? Best decision you can make is say yes to Jesus. Amen. Well, keep your head bowed every eye closed. If you are dealing with... <clears throat> working through church hurt and spiritual abuse. I want to pray for you. Stand where you are. Stand where you are. I want to pray for you. That's something significant. I see y'all standing up. Thank y'all for being bold. I see y'all standing up. Church hurt and spiritual abuse. You still haven't gotten over it, and it still is a huge part of your life and experience. You feel deeply singed by it. You, it's hard to move on, whatever it is. Thank you all for your boldness. Anybody else? <clears throat> and the spiritual abuse can happen outside the church as well. It can happen by parents being spiritually abusive. I see you standing. Anybody else? Thank you for standing. There's more. I thank you for standing. I see you. Thank you for jumping up. I see you. Anybody else? Anybody else? I see you. Thank you for standing. Anyone else? Thank you all for standing up. Some of y'all are resting because you're trying to wrap your head around what it actually was. Even if you're not clear on whether or not it was, the fact that it's in your mind, stand. Thank you for standing. I see you. I see you. Anybody else? I see you in the back. Thank you. Anybody else? I know there are more. Yep, yep, I see y'all standing. Thank y'all for standing. I see you in the back. <laughs> yeah. In the chat, if that's you standing, I want you to put a hand emoji for you standing up in the chat if you want prayer. So I want to pray for you specifically. I want to pray for you specifically. I'm going to look in the chat right now on uh, YouTube. Yes. Yes. Anybody else? Anyone else? Anyone else? I see you standing. Yes. 
Yes. Turn this down. More hands in the chat if that's you and you want prayer. See you stand. Thank you for standing, brother. Anybody else? <sighs> Let's go before the Lord. Thank you, sis, for standing. I'll see you. Lord God, no pain, no pain like church pain. Um, experiencing spiritual abuse. Wow, and church hurt can be some of the most grueling experiences, particularly if you've invested in a church and you've served and you're hurt where you've placed your heart the deepest. You get what you, you get an unexpected communication that you're like, where did that come from? Whatever anyone's ever dealt with. Maybe someone was touched in the wrong way, approached in the wrong way, abused. God, I'm praying for the bomb of Gilead to come on your people and to touch every hurt and every pain, every broken spot where church hurt has happened. Well, the hard thing about church hurt is in any relationship where you give your heart, there's bound to be a point of hurt. The question isn't God whether we get hurt, it's how we deal with it and how we let you heal us and how we deal with the issue with the person that hurt us. And so God, I pray for people to get the therapy they need, the community they need, and if possible, the godly confrontation they need in order to face whether it's their abuser, if it's safe, with a mediator, with the hurt, the person who hurt them, so they can get some kind of closure. And God, I pray that Lord God, that they would see even in their hurt what you were doing and how you used it. You knew what was going to happen. You used it. Help them to know how you're using it. It's not always clear. God, touching the deepest places of their heart, you said you desire truth in the secret place. God, help there to be no lie where truth should be because the enemy loves to use hurt as an open door for his lies. And God, we come against every demonic lie of the enemy. The Lord rebuke you. And God, we replace it with an altar to your presence. We replace it with truth. We replace it with who you are. We replace it with the truth of the gospel. We replace it with the truth of who Jesus is. We replace it with sanctification. That's what we do, Lord God. And God, you say, if you speak to the mountain and you say, be moved, it shall be moved. So now, in this official capacity in church, we speak to the mountain of hurt. We speak to the mountain of pain. We speak to the mountain of abuse. And we call it up and we call it out and we call it removed in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. And we trust you 
for safe places to process, safe places to heal, safe places to be made new, and safe places to be strengthened. God, we thank you. We honor you. In Christ's name we pray. Everybody agree with that said? Amen. Amen. Let's prepare our hearts and minds for communion. Let's stand together. If you don't have communion and you're a believer, uh, please hold your hand up so that we can give you the elements. We have one in the balcony. We have one in the balcony here. Hello to everyone in the chat. I'm looking at you. I see those hands up. Thank you for the comment. Who is that? Uh, Kedmiel Vassin. I hope I said that correctly. Thank you for being with us. Hi, Gabriel. Hi, Richard. Hello, all you good folks. Gre uh, Greta, Shannon. Hey, Mary Mason. Tell Muhammad what's up. I see y'all. Much love to everybody. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread. He gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, which is given for you. <laughs> he uses his point of abuse as a way for our life. Let us eat together. The blood spilled and the blood poured is the blood for our salvation. It flows to the deepest of places, <laughs> the highest of mountains, and it heals, heals where you can't see and I can't see, but where God knows. Let us drink together. Lord Most High, His Imperial Majesty, we thank you and we fear you. We reverence you. Lord, our affliction has purpose. We don't like it. Affliction is so annoying, Lord. It is. Yet, builds our character. Um, hurt always, God reveals. Doesn't, it doesn't create who we are. It reveals who we are. And God, I pray because this won't be the last time people will stand up on church hurt. I pray that it's the last time we, it's some church abuse. But we know as long as we're here, we'll have to wrestle with peacemaking. Lord God, help the devil not to get in our peacemaking make things what they aren't say things in people's heart our hearts it's not true and in light of that now unto him who is able to establish you according to the preaching of my gospel to him be majesty and glory and power both now and forever everybody agree with that said amen, amen. love you all take care have a good one Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Passive Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, 
based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you. We love you.